0: Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Unraveling Technology podcast. It's another beautiful day here in Sheffield and I'm joined by my favourite people in the world, David Johnson and Adam Willerton. <laughs> How
1: are you doing, guys? I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm even better knowing that I'm I'm in your favourite group.
0: You're up there, definitely oh. in the the, the the higher Oh, sli-
1: slightly walking that statement back there.
0: <laughs> Don't walk it back too far. There's still time to redeem yourself. With some thoroughly good podcasting. How are you, Adam?
2: I'm all right, yeah. Um, as mentioned earlier, I had a weird dream about Joe last night. Straight so. in
0: with the weird dream. <laughs> I'm
2: just—I'm getting it out of the way because I know you're going to make me tell it in a bit anyway. So
0: <laughs> I had nearly forgotten about it. Then it was on the periphery of my. Okay. Much in the, the same way David's on the periphery of my top people, <laughs> he's on the <laughs> periphery of my mind. Go on then, tell t- tell you what you dream about me.
2: Okay, so last night I dreamt
0: that we, that we so were... He, he so he, he prefixed this by saying it's one of those dreams where you walk in, you see the person in real life the next day and you do feel weird, even though it was just <laughs> a dream. Yeah, I felt really weird about Joe,
2: like <laughs> the first five minutes, um yeah i dreamt that we were recording the podcast and uh, joe announced on the podcast that he was leaving Birchnell howden and me and you were like completely shocked about it and then afterwards we went upstairs and like told the rest of the people and then and everyone was like really shocked and sad and then Joe just—you didn't even announce you were going to do this. You just started singing "My Way" by Frank Sinatra. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like, and now the end is near. And like, people just burst into tears and were crying. And it, also, it wasn't Joe. It—you know—it's one of them <laughs> people that like doesn't look
0: like Joe, the yeah. person, but it is the person. You kind of
1: get that that stand-in of this. This represents,
0: yeah. <laughs> like, that memory block is corrupt, and I can't remember what Joe looks like. <laughs> but I kind of get it. Um, yeah,
2: so everyone was crying, and I woke up feeling really weird. And then I had to just face Joe. He's had to come and
0: <laughs> see me today. So, so yeah.
1: if you do want to resign, though, doing well, it on the podcast. Coincidentally,
0: well, <laughs> I mean, I it for the long run. You'll never get rid of me. So sorry, I didn't do a podcast last week. Um, I did, did. My intention was to, but um, uh, fun, unfortunately, due to uh, time constraints, I was unable. But but, well done on the podcast the week before. It was great. I was listening to it in the garden while I was uh, doing some gardening. After, was...
1: after returning from uh, yeah from your holidays.
0: Same day, got back from uh, from Austria and I was straight out in that garden, trimming back that mess. <laughs> but yeah, it was a good, good podcast. I kept wanting to interject, you know, as I normally oh, no. would on the podcast, but uh, I couldn't, no matter how loud I yelled. So yeah, I've been in Austria for a week. You've had a week off. Mm-hmm. Both fully refreshed now. Ready for some... I thought you were going to yawn then. I was like, that's ironic. (laughs) David just sneezed. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You did well to keep the volume
2: down on that. It was just like one of those silent sneezes. good. Some podcasts have
0: dedicated buttons for that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I was trying to work out whether I needed to get Adam to pause the recording or not. (laughs) That's been building for a minute.
0: (laughs) Dealt with it, definitely. And we got a good 15 minutes of podcast material. 15 seconds, rather, of podcast material out of it. Yeah, no, Austria was uh, it was good. It was warm. I was saying before I went, the weather projection was it was going to rain all the time, but actually we got three or four days of, of decent like sun cream weather. That's wow. good. I yeah. did
1: see a photo you put up of some beautiful views that were oh yes, it was about I don't know fifty meters of bridge disappearing into fog.
0: Yeah. Oh, that was weird. We went up a mountain called the Zwolferhorn, and we 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 caught the cable car up, and then we thought we'll walk down, and. I thought I could see the top, but it was one of those, you know, those cable cars where you get to the top and then it sinks down into another ridge and goes to an even higher cliff uh, situation. So that just kind of disappeared into the mist. Couldn't see a thing. Couldn't see a hand in front of your face. It was great. It was really good fun. Hmm. But yeah, then we had to walk down the hill. It took about two and a half hours, and it was just raining the entire time. Ah. (laughs) But I'd been to the Catalan, and I had my waterproofs.
2: (laughs) That shop. I mean, I, I know they don't sponsor this podcast, but I can't speak <laughs> highly enough of them. They well,
1: should. They should sponsor this podcast.
0: You were here. Were you here last time when I was saying that the the beeper went off when I was just trying to to buy pro- products oh, yeah, from them legitimately? Yeah, yeah. I told a lot of people about that now. Yeah, probably lost a, a lot of good custom because of me. But <laughs> uh, hey, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I meant to bring back some sweets as well because Austria, they're very big on their uh, uh, Mozart Kugel. It's called... It's basically kind of just like lint chocolates. Okay. But Austria, Mozart, it's just everything's Mozart. Really? All over the place. (laughs) Yeah, Salzburg. Um, Yeah. Also seen a lot of locations from The Sound of Music, so if there's any uh, avid Sound of Music fans listening... um,
1: I've still somehow managed to avoid watching it.
0: I mean, it's not really... It doesn't really make it onto, you know... Top 100 film lists, I don't imagine. Mm. It just seems like, well, it's one of those
1: films that is kind of on the list of films that you think appear every Christmas, though I'm not sure it actually does because I probably would have seen it if yeah. it did actually turn up every Christmas.
0: Bit of a time commitment. We were yeah. going to watch it the night before we flew. Mm-hmm. I had to turn it off about two and a half hours in, because <laughs> it just <laughs> kept going. I think it's three hours in total. Really? Mm.
2: That's long for something like that that was made that long ago.
0: I don't know. That's they used to. They used to love that. Did they? Right yeah. Like, oh, right. um, Lawrence of Arabia. Oh yeah. We went Ben-Hur. to see... yeah. Mm, they loved it.
1: We went to uh, the station that was used in Brief Encounter, oh. and they have a little museum. Set up there. This is on my holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a cinema that shows the movie on loop, just 24 it's hours. Weird, isn't it? How
0: one thing gets filmed somewhere and that just defines the place. Yeah. I think I can't remember if I mentioned that we went to the weekend before we went to Austria. We went in, uh, to the Yorkshire Dales and we went to some, I think it's called Eisgarth Falls and it was a waterfall. Famous because they'd shot a scene from Kevin Costner's um, Robin Hood. <laughs> like, uh, on the top waterfall. <laughs> Getting
2: really tenuous now, isn't it? Like...
0: It's, yeah, but... Uh, oh, excuse me. But yeah, just... Uh, you can define a place just by a, a not particularly good film. Not that I've got any problem with um, Robin Hood. I've never watched it. I don't have an opinion. Okay. But uh, still... It's not
1: the most historically accurate film, but it's pretty fun.
0: Might be more historically accurate than the, the Russell Crowe version. But I don't want to get into that. Let's not get into that. Let's talk about some technology related news. That's what we're here for. So first story that I've got, I'm gonna go with the uh, the first one about the EFS criticizing Google. So I thought we'll start with the bigger stories. Okay, okay. Go, go to the smaller ones. So this is news. Um, it's been a, a busy few weeks in uh, American politics and goings on, but this is a story, uh, a bit of background. A couple of weeks ago, there were some uh, protests in Charlottesville, USA, uh, which was uh, by some far-right group called uh, Unite the Right, who were protesting the takedown of a a statue of a a confederate figurehead, I think it was. I'll just say here, I'm not an expert in what constitutes the difference between white nationalism, Nazism, right-wing extremism, so might use the terms- Alt-right. Alt-right. Might use the terms interchangeably, and I apologize in advance for my ignorance. But anyway, yeah, there was a protest where because of the uh, they were going to take down this uh, statue and they were sort of publicly opposed and uh, clashed with a, a far-left group called uh, Antifa. Antifa. Um, there was fighting, violence. At one point, uh, somebody got uh, killed when they had a car uh, drove into them. There's been a lot in the news about it. Mm. And uh, a lot of criticism of Donald Trump for uh, like not being more critical of the kind of neo-Nazi side of it. Anyway, this article that we're looking at is a BBC news article. Uh, it is the EFF, which is the Electronic
1: Pop Frontier Foundation.
0: Yeah, so the kind of the council of internet bigwigs. I think we discussed the EFF previously. Said actually, they consist of quite a lot of quite a lot of people from quite a lot of major players from different companies. They tend to crop up
1: um, in stories about. Rights and so on so
0: we talked about them with the um uh, the browser encryption html5 encryption
1: yes and uh the standards of encrypted video and drm and um they've also come up with these sort of um the stories that we've talked about where companies are trying to you know add support or rate limit access to different websites and whether or not that's fair and so on
0: yeah and I think that's a lot of what this article talks about. So the EFF have criticized uh, Google, among a couple of other companies, so uh, Cloudfair were in there, uh, GoDaddy. Because um, after all this, there was, a, there was a kind of a white nationalist website called the Daily Stormer, which has been pretty vocal in its support for both the, the initial Unite the Right protest... And also the, uh, they, they said some pretty denigrating things about the the victim, the person who was killed during the protest
1: yeah the the kind of the way this came up was they put this article up um, about the the woman who got killed in the protest. Um, and then I think shortly afterwards they published another article saying that anonymous had taken over the site. So, the impression people came away with was that they were trying to put up this article and then if it went bad, they'd pretend that they got hacked and they didn't actually write the article, but the kind of major Twitter accounts associated
0: with Anonymous are saying, no, we didn't do that. That's always struck me as a funny thing, the major Twitter accounts associated with Anonymous. uh, (laughs) Anonymous. Anonymous,
1: yeah, because it's by definition supposed to be a faceless... yeah you
0: know, massive people. It's going to be any and everyone. So if you're sort of centralizing it or saying, check out the anonymous public Twitter feed or official Twitter feed, that doesn't really work per se.
1: So the Im- implication was that they they say they got hacked and they didn't. They imply that they didn't want this article to go up. But um, GoDaddy, who were there, uh, who were hosting the website, didn't agree with that and mm-hmm. said, right, you've got 24 hours to go find yourself another hosting provider. So they shifted over to Google, um, got hosted on Google for a bit, and then a couple of hours later, Google did essentially the same thing, except they went a little bit further because um, Google run a DNS service. So that's basically your website address, www.berchnellhowden.co.uk, um, for instance.
0: Good plug. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or technology. There we go. Read Maybe. <laughs> be a better one um, that address is kind of held with a dns provider which basically tells people who go looking for that address where to find the actual website um so google hosted the dns for them and then when they decided they didn't want them on their platform anymore within a couple of hours of hosting them not only did they kind of kick them off the platform make the website disappear they also locked that um web address down so that nobody could buy it, nobody could renew it, nobody could move it off the Google platform. So they essentially killed the website. Mm-hmm. And then the kind of last piece of this whole story is that for years now, this site has been um, been protected by a company called Cloudflare. Mm-hmm. So we talked on the podcast a bunch about denial of service attacks, which is basically when a bunch of people try and get to a website and just ask it questions and they're not actually you know they're not actually trying to use the website they're just trying to throw as much data at it as possible and try and you know just request pages on loop and so on to kind of use up all the resources so that other people who are legitimately trying to get to the website aren't able to get in
0: amongst all the noise yeah we talked so- about the um the Mirai mirai botnet that was a lot about ddos thing and i think google themselves have their own uh google shield isn't it the one that's there to protect journalists and yeah human rights activists and things like that
1: so a big a very big player in this kind of combating denial of service is a company called cloudfare who they reckon they handle about 10 percent of web traffic or websites um so they provide this kind of network that distributes all of the the website across a whole bunch of servers so that when you're going to the website you're not talking to one server that is going to fall over if too many people talk to it you're talking to this vast distributed network of servers and yeah you just you'd need a huge amount of resources to take something down so yeah. they've been protecting this site for years and years um mm-hmm. against denial of service attacks and then they decided to pull the plug on them as well which is essentially driven the site underground
0: yeah it's interesting because you think oh yeah it's bad white nationalist nazi website take it down it was only really because they've sort of drawn the ire of the public in the case because this um it's all kind of in the the cultural zeitgeist at the moment because of what happened in Charlottesville, that they've had an awful lot of bad vibes coming that way. So it's worth saying that they have existed up until this point. You know, it's not like they've just kind of suddenly popped up and then been shut down. They've they've been around for a long time. It
1: it mostly seems to be in response to this story that they published about uh, the woman who got killed. Mm. The, the kind of wrinkle on this is that Cloudflare pride themselves on defending free speech. Yeah. And they have, you know, they've been happily or unhappily kind of hosting and protecting this site for years and years. And they continued to do so even after GoDaddy and Google and even after the article in question was published. The thing that eventually drove them to actually say, no, we're not going to protect you anymore, was nothing actually on the site itself. It was just Mm. a bunch of people talking on Twitter saying um or suggesting that cloudfare supported their ideals because they were continuing to protect them. At which point Cloudfair said, no, we don't and um, you're gone. Yeah. The kind of the big crux of this is all about free speech and the idea yes, of yeah. whether you know, whether you protect free speech regardless of what people are saying or whether you can step in and You know, censor some things that you find distasteful, and this is what the EFF has got uh, is complaining about. They don't, they don't agree with what the website's been putting up and the articles. They don't think it's it's good or something that they support or agree with. But they want, they are very concerned that a website, any website, you know, companies can just decide to get rid of it, and then that site effectively disappears from the public view. Because, okay, today it's, you know, right-wing propaganda. Mm-hmm. What if tomorrow it's something else that we do agree with?
0: Yeah, and uh, taking this from the article, the uh, the EFF said, we strongly believe that what GoDaddy, Google, and Cloudfare did here was dangerous because internet e- intermediaries, especially those with few competitors, control so much online speech. The consequences of their decisions have far-reaching impacts on speech around the world. And it's worth saying that uh, in the article the Cloudflare chief executive Matthew Prince does say that he shares that concern and links to Cloudflare's own blog which is really interesting actually. I don't know if you had a chance to read it. I
1: had a bit of a skim read through.
0: Yeah, that was so it was called the blog article was called why we terminated daily stormer. And it does ask some pretty big questions about content regulation on the internet and where do you there's lots of stages, uh, you know, there's the there's, there's creators, the people who make the content, the publishers that put the content out, the registrars for websites like, uh, you know, the where you register your .coms, uh, ISPs, uh, w- the web browsers, you know, would Google, would Chrome or Internet Explorer or Safari have a sense something? Um, and they say that, uh, interestingly, the, the initial requests that they had. So there was a lot of Twitter buzz of people saying, oh, take this down, take this down. And they say that some of the first ones that they got were from hackers uh, who were saying to them, hey, CloudFair, I know you're protecting this website from DDoS, but come on, agree with us here. Just get out the way so that we can DDoS the site and bring it down, <laughs> which is... Uh, uh, th- so he, he actually says, he says, um, you, like me, may believe that the, Storm- the Daily Stormer's site is vile, You may believe it should be restricted. You may think the authors of the site should be prosecuted. Reasonable people can and do believe all of those things. But having the mechanism of content control be vigilante hackers launching DDoS attacks subverts any rational concept of justice. So Mm. then goes on to talk about, yeah, how this is, a lot of people would say this is a, a free speech issue. And there's a lot out there about repressing free speech has never gone well for anybody, really. Mm. Unless maybe we just don't hear about it. But when you marginalize a a group, then that's never going to manifest in them suddenly going, oh, yeah, okay, I suppose you're right. We probably shouldn't have a a platform or a voice. There's always going to be, you know, it always turns into something uglier, so perhaps this isn't isn't the way to go about it and if it was does the responsibility really lie with Cloudflare, who's kind of at the at the top of this whole pyramid
1: yeah and um so it's a weird one isn't it because they're not it's not they're not hosting it they're not actually you know providing the content to the world essentially what they're doing is protecting it so in like an ideal world, in a world without hackers or where people didn't actually want to take this site down, them taking themselves out of the loop wouldn't actually do anything. Mm. But because this site is under constant attack by people who disagree with it, then them stepping out of the way is essentially signing its death warrant. Yeah, it's not not quite a death warrant though, because this the other thing is that it's now. The site is still available, hmm. but it's just not available on the regular web. It's now available on the dark web via the Tor browser, yeah. So, which is...
0: That does very, very much limit your readership, I guess, though. yeah, I can imagine a lot of people aren't very familiar with how to use a Tor browser. I'm not entirely sure myself. But it does it. the kind of...
1: Yeah, it it probably limits your readership. It limits the people stumbling across it and either getting upset or you know reading things and it it recruiting more people to the ideals but at the same time it does take it out of kind of visible view it's a lot harder to see what's going on there and yeah you know the the dark web is full of people doing you know drug trades and you know child pornography and all sorts of horrible horrible things and you know, driving another thing there. I don't know how much of a win that is.
0: Yeah, when they're having to. I mean, there was for a while. They did have, I say, a while. They did get a domain in Russia, so they were Daily at RU. But again, that's been banned as well. I've got a. I I, I don't. I can't think of anywhere that wouldn't have these kind of rules in place. You know about uh, you know your websites not, propo- not promoting hate and things like that i imagine the t the terms of service for pretty much most things would involve that so i can't really see anywhere online that you could go Mm -hmm. other than the deep web particularly in terms of like who should reserve the right to make the decision though that's a tough one there's like a there's a a theory that in governments or in governance that you want to kind of Push responsibility for things down to the lowest rung of the pecking order that you can, really. So don't have don't have Congress deciding, you know, whether you're going to put a water fountain somewhere. Have you know push it down to the to you know the, ta- de- delegate. the town mayor or yeah <laughs> exactly. And it means that you don't get tied up with unnecessary overhead, but also you're not likely to be accused of abusing power. Mm kind of the same thing with the internet i suppose uh, you could block things at an isp level but that's kind of dangerous because that's most people's gateway to the internet and that's a bit of a sledgehammer approach that's why everyone gets upset when websites get banned uh, you know when when there, there was talk of oh well we'll automatically block porn websites and you have to ask to have them enabled that was people's kind of argument is that you know, you, you, you're affecting everyone here. Why not just leave everything as is and then just offer that service for the people that want it? It's a tricky one. Especially yes. when when the whole world has kind of a, a standard way of engaging in discussion through websites. And if you're saying to them, hey, you can't use this. You can only use this crazy, crazy secret internet that's that's full of all kinds of illegal things, then you exclude them from the p- platform. And as mentioned before, pushing them underground, is it's not going to, it's not going to yield fruit.
1: Yeah, really. it's a difficult one because on the surface, in this one particular case, I think a lot of people would be quite happy to see the site gone. Mm-hmm. But you have to kind of think about it on a wider scale and a setting of precedence for other future sites and other future you know, topics of discussion. And who knows what's going to come up in the future and be a hot topic issue that you know, somebody might decide, mm-hmm. I don't want people discussing this or looking at this. We want to get rid of it. I'm, I've seen a lot of comparisons to sort of the civil rights movement and stuff. And, mm-hmm. like, yeah, sort of around that time, then the, is it the NCAAP, something like that? I'm not very familiar with. America. Mm. Anyway, the, um, yeah, the uh, the group that represents African-Americans and um, rights and so on, they were very much seen as the bad guys. Right. And you could imagine, like, if this was, you know, if this technology existed, then maybe all of their statements and their websites and so on would be blocked and banned and filtered off the internet. Mm. And looking back at that now, that seems like, you know, a terrible thing if you you can't get your content out there, then you can't get the rights for these people who are you know being mistreated and suffering and seen as low class citizens.
0: It's a bit of a catch twenty two isn't it because we talked about net neutrality and you know how like oh we'll allow the internet to be its own thing, but then at the same time, you've got questions like this to to discuss and kind of thrash out yeah, it's you, tough there's a lot of lot of internet, yeah, you want.
1: On one hand, you don't want to censor people. On the other hand, you don't want influential, you know, influenced, easily influenced people coming across things that are, you know, misleading and bad for them. Mm, Yeah. I don't know what the answer is.
0: Okay. Well, Adam, do you know what the answer is? No. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, guys. We couldn't figure that one out. Let's try with our uh, next story. Technology still (laughs) raveled. Oh. We're not doing our
1: job. <laughs> we picked at it a bit, but it's still pretty knotted.
0: Yeah, we'll give it to someone else to figure out. <laughs> so the second one I think we'll talk about is the uh, the H3 um, fair use court battle, at Sitch. If that's all right? Sure. So this is uh, when I emailed this round, uh, Adam Adam said, oh, yeah. Always ready to talk H3. So yeah. do you, you want to give us a, a, a brief outline of what? What H three H three Productions is yes. for those who aren't in the know. So they're just uh, they're basically uh, like a
2: comedy YouTube channel. Um, they make lots of different types of videos, but probably the most famous, uh, well, probably the type of video they're most famous for are, are like reaction videos, where they'll they'll find something that they think is uh, cringeworthy or or lame or whatever, and they'll just kind of do a commentary on the video.
0: They kind of do a bit of a gamut, though. I mean, like, they've done a couple of, like, exposés oh, as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, they, um, do
2: sim- they do kind of serious stuff as well, but m- mainly it is comedy, isn't it?
0: It's kind of all over the place, yeah. Yeah. Um, like I kind of i i bounce between whether I find a video funny or not, depending on what mood I'm in that day. You know, sometimes yeah. they're very funny, but, yeah, it's very hit and miss, I find. Yeah. Um, but when it hits.
2: <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they've recently been sued. Well, I say recently, it was, like, a year and a half ago, they got sued. Mm. Um, because one of the videos that they were kind of doing a commentary on uh, sued them for copyright for using clips from their video, mm-hmm. whereas they were saying it, there's something called a fair use policy where you know as so long as you're kind of repurposing the content and using it in a, a different way, then it's it's fair fair to use that content fair use
1: you're supposed to provide i think critical commentary or you know something like that you're supposed to add to the video essentially which which is what they were doing and you're also supposed to not your video that you're producing can't be seen as a substitute for the original video
2: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. well so yeah they basically just yesterday won won the so they they were being sued by one of the the People that it's uh, a guy called Matt Hoss, Matt Hoss, yeah, Matt They Hoss, were being sued um, by
0: him. Um, something or other, it was what was it? It was called Matt Hoss, something the channel, zone, Matt Hoss zone, yeah. Um, um
2: yeah, so, so they, I mean, with by them winning their winning the lawsuit means, um, it's kind of like a benchmark for fair use on YouTube and probably across the internet, really.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's, um, yeah. Video they that they, they got sued for that used, yeah, defamatory and stolen content and other stuff like that. It's been a, it's been a, a long. They have put up videos every now and then, sort of showing the progress with it. They've had quite a few bit of uh, sort of charity donations to help them with the was fees. But a
1: guy, so they very explicitly didn't ask for help. Mm. Um, but there was a guy called Philip DeFranco who set up a GoFundMe page to help them fund this legal battle. Yeah, and that raised. It was over one hundred and seventy thousand yeah. dollars.
0: Yeah, that's uh, so they used that, and I'm sure that helped. But there was a video where they were showing just one month's worth of legal fees, and it was it was about fifty thousand yeah. dollars. for a month. For a month. There's yeah, a line in
1: there that was color photocopying, which yeah. was over six hundred dollars.
2: Yeah, I remember that. Unbelievable. Well, well, with the money that that philip defranco helped them raise they set up the remember they set up that, that organization i called couldn't remember FUPA.
0: what it was was it called fupa because i was searching yeah. for it and i couldn't find fair it
2: use policy association or something like that sure so w- what they kind of did like any money that got donated to them they put into this this organization which would go towards helping people who were being sued against fair use policy claims
0: you do hear a lot about that kind no. of think
2: it's um, especially on youtube it's,
0: it's it's fairly regular isn't it yeah. there was, um the latest one was um did you hear this about oh what was it called there was a, a composer alex alex mauer did you hear that one
1: i think you might have mentioned it to me not mm. on the podcast
0: yeah who uh was a guy who wrote some music for a game and uh put that and uh, people started that game went up on steam Load of people started playing it, creating videos, let's plays of it, and then he sort of went through and systematically. I think he had a, he had a dispute with the game developer over I don't know maybe unpaid royalties or something. So what he did was he went to any video of anyone who had put up footage of that game and put a DMC takedown request. And because the way that YouTube deals with it, it'll automatically take it'll take the video down first, ask questions later. Mm. I guess because they don't want to get into a situation where it's like, well, why did you allow this? horrible execution video to remain up on the website for 10 days mm. i think they'd rather just take it down deal with it afterwards i think
1: i think the issue is especially on i mean there's, there's content takedown. Mm. this um there's also kind of like blocking advertising revenue on sites as well on yeah. particular videos and there's a whole mess of kind of ways There's that your so ways. your video can suddenly either disappear or not make you any money and it it does seem like youtube is very heavily you know weighted towards the people who issue the takedown notice
3: and
2: less
1: to the uh the people who are putting up the content
2: well i was gonna say like it for people who don't really understand, well, not necessarily understand, don't know the ins and outs of YouTube, it sounds quite trivial. Like, oh yeah, he's he's taken my video and a he's lot been of YouTube using... drama is about this, yeah. isn't it? But when it gets to the level that, like some like a channel like H3 is at, per video they'll make five to ten thousand dollars based on how many views they get. So, so if you think that if you can if you think that someone is making thousands of dollars from your content then you would be pretty annoyed that that they've taken it without asking or giving you a cut of the money or whatever so it is it is quite a big deal really
0: so what happens when when they've stated their case the video gets put back up do they then get that revenue money back no no <gasps> they so if you
1: basically the video comes back up um but if it's been demonetized, say for a period of time, and then they re-enable monetization because the claim didn't go through or because they appealed it and, you know, that you still kind of missed the opening window. So mm. the, the time, from what I understand, the time that you make your money on a YouTube video is in, you know, the first couple of days that you put it up. Yeah. Because after that, people have moved on. So even if your video if your video goes up, it gets strike a strike. You don't get any revenue for that. Even if they then enable adverts later, anybody who clicks on it from that point is going to give you money, but nobody's clicking on it anymore because it's old news. Yeah. It's, so it's it's a mess.
0: It is. It's a, Yeah, it's a pl- horrible it's, mess. I mean, there's kind of that, there's that part of me that says, oh, well, it would be nice to make a living from YouTube, wouldn't it? But if it fell through... I guess I won't get particularly upset because I was making money on YouTube.
1: It it kind of but feels like a gamble. For a lot gamble. of these, a lot of these big channels that are, I suppose, I guess for a lot of medium-sized channels, if you are, you know, working on a video for I don't know a week, two weeks, and you're putting that up and you're expecting to get, you know, a couple of thousand dollars for it. Mm. If it doesn't, for whatever reason, make you any money, then that's you know two or three weeks' work gone and you've not been paid for it. And if you are trying to make a living purely off YouTube or, you know, scraping by with some minimum wage job while spending all of your working hours trying to put together videos, then that's seriously going to impact your, you know, your income and your lifestyle.
0: I don't think that H3 is particularly... um, I don't... Not productive, but, uh, you know, they... Prolific, prolific. That's the one. I mean, just having a look at the channel here, if I was to have a look at the videos, I think they only, you only see one every uh, like every week or so. Mm. They
1: do run a couple of different channels though. So they have a podcast they put up, they have yeah. Uh, yeah. Ethan and Healer channel that's kind of like a smaller channel which is mostly vlogging. So there's a few that's things a out there, there okay. I think.
2: But I mean, it, compare that compare that to like some of the massive channels where they like do daily vlogs and yeah. stuff. Like, so they're making thousands every single day from the videos. Yeah, mm-hmm. like,
1: it does. It does kind of feel, and I think a lot of the commentary in the videos that they've put up is the the American legal system, and probably several others. I don't know the ins and outs of say the UK legal system, but um, it's very very stacked against people who don't have money. So if you're a YouTuber um, that's trying to make money on YouTube or, again, working some, like, minimum wage job and spending all your free time putting videos on YouTube, you you don't have $50,000 to spend a month on legal fees. So without kind of their popularity, without people raising funds on GoFundMe or offering them legal advice and help for free basically because they were popular and because this issue affected or you know was gonna set a precedence for a bunch of different YouTube channels, um anybody essentially who's doing kind of commentary videos mm. um could be affected by whatever ruling came out of this if and when it went to court. So they, they managed to get this kind of following of people to support them and help them through and they actually went through the whole legal process. It costs them, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to yeah, do that. People can't do that. No, they can't. So the legal system is essentially you are playing chicken. Like even even if like on the face of it, if you read the original sort of court case that was put together by Matt Hoss's lawyers, it's ridiculous. And there's they h three h three put up a video kind of going through it, talking about it, and. Picking bits of it apart and saying, you know, he he says that we use, you know, our video is basically all of his video, um, but we only use like a little over half of it, and he says that our video consists almost entirely of his footage that's copyright. But actually, you know, it's 11 minute video, and we use three minutes of his footage, and the rest of us is us talking. So even if you have, you know, a a legal challenge that is demonstrably wrong mm. on several counts. If you don't have the money to fight it, which people don't, then you're essentially powerless.
2: I think he, I think he probably Matt Hoss probably said, take it down or I'll sue you as a threat. Never mm. expect because like you said, if you if you even want to defend yourself you've got to have, you know, dozens of thousands of dollars. I mean to Matt even... Hoss
0: is not a not a massive channel. No. Well, not a massive amount of views. I think well, that, one the, of the the
2: video in question had ten million views. He did that one a couple have... of weeks
0: later that's got eleven million. Yeah. Uh, but I mean that's it's just I don't understand where he's getting the money to pursue this from. No. But hey.
1: I guess maybe I don't know, maybe he's got a lawyer that maybe saw rich, like you know. smelt some money. Well <laughs> so yeah, like I think I think we can make some money here.
2: He's gonna it, have to have a lot more now anyway, because he's he lost, so
1: Yeah. Yeah. The um the interesting thing about this is that he did actually have like so a lot of people will say oh you can't use my footage it's copyright Mm. he had actually registered a copyright on that video and he had actually registered copyright before H3H3 put up their video so he's kind of done the legal groundwork if they'd kind of taken his video and just republished his video then it would be very very easy for him to you know take them to court and they would probably win. So he's done like a bunch of stuff to cover himself. Mm. So I wonder if yeah, it was just a lawyer that kind of thought hey I can I can probably get them to pay up and settle on this. There are a few levels of kind of things that they wanted them to do. so the first the first shot was take down the video and pay us four thousand dollars mm. yeah uh, to which they said, well, if we do that then you know that lawyer is then going to go to everybody else that we've ever done a reaction video for and said hey i got them to pay up let me see if i can get you five thousand dollars let me see if i can get you six thousand dollars yeah um,
0: like a copyright trolls kind of thing yeah
1: and um, then they the later shot was um well okay you don't have to pay any money but you have to put up a, a video that's apologizing and it has to run for at least two months and you've got to broadcast it on your social media and then you've also got a link to his channel a bunch and you've got to say how good he is and how much you like his videos.
0: <laughs> you can see, I mean, on the face of it, if it's like, okay, give us this money and we'll take it and we can, you know, we'll, we'll call it that. You can see how if they had a lot of money to throw about, they could just say, oh, fine, here's the money, just go away. I think it's at that point where they say you have to make an apology video and put it on your social media and link to us that I'd think, oh, oh, I'm gonna go bankrupt, but I don't care. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna. Well, the the small,
1: the four thousand. When you're looking at, they were estimating at the beginning about hundred thousand dollars for a court case. So if you're looking at four thousand compared to spending a hundred thousand, then you'd see people being tempted. But as as they point out, if that's your livelihood is making these reaction videos, then that's going to destroy your way of life because you're just going to be expected to pay up every single time.
0: Yeah. So a lot of people would say that it's, would see it as quite a small thing and you could argue that it paves the way for future fair use and that's what, that's what the Klein's argument was. Fair use and this will set a nice precedent and everything, but, but will it? I mean, the thing i'd say is that there's an alternative argument here which is that whether something is fair use or not is a massively context reliant
1: i think yeah that's the thing and it was brought out in this court case that essentially fair use is an is an opinion and the only way that you can determine whether something is fair use or not is by taking it to court drag it through court for a year. They, um, there's also specifically in the ruling, the judge pointed out that this ruling doesn't apply to all reaction videos. It doesn't say that every reaction video is fair use. It says that this one, which contains commentary that adds to the rea- to the vi- the original video, that doesn't act as a substitute to the original video, that isn't kind of couldn't be mistaken as the original video is fair use Mm. but something that was you know just like maybe the original video with a little camera in the corner a little webcam watching somebody's face as they and then pulling faces as the video runs
0: i hate those so much
1: maybe that wouldn't be fair use that again would have to go through court
0: i react to suicide squad movie trailer and it's someone and you know they're hamming it up no one would actually do that if you're in a room by yourself you just kind of watch it stoically and then go yeah that was really good because <laughs> uh, the cameras there you've got to you got to pull some facial expressions do something mm. do something for those likes um yeah oh, was it does it say what sort of court it was was it is it a small claims court is it big court i didn't i didn't
1: find that in any of the things i read or the the videos that were put up I don't know whether this is open to appeal. I would imagine that he, Matt Hoss probably wouldn't appeal it because I don't think he'd win.
0: It's funny if you look at Matt Hoss's uh, YouTube channel. The last video he did was five months ago, uh, talking about the court case and how okay, right? It's it's March. We're gonna be we're going to court in April. Uh, I'll get back to you guys. I'll give you updates on everything that happens. Gives you give you my my view on it. And he hasn't done a video since, and that was five <laughs> months ago. But yeah, I just think if you were, if that was the kind of court case where you get a jury, that'd be a great one, wouldn't it? Mm. Like, okay, right, jury, watch this ten-minute YouTube video of this guy's video getting ripped apart by another guy, and then watching them both go at it in court. In my head, it's probably a lot different from how it actually went down. Yeah, in me, it's Ethan and on one side, and then there's Matt on the other side. No, you did it. No, just, I didn't. You did this.
1: I'm just imagining like the judge sat there, some like presumably fairly elderly woman sat there watching a YouTube video with some not very safe-for-work content in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> While well, you've got the people who made that video sitting there in, in suits and stuff yeah. <laughs> in the defendant's chair.
0: Yeah, old lady asking what a meme is.
2: Well, well so today they, they re-uploaded the video that they'd originally been sued yeah, for because no they said... They were like, look, we, this has been through court. We are allowed to have this. This is our property. This is legally gonna, our property. We're going to do what we want with it. So they put it back up.
1: They not only put it back up, they put it on their main channel yeah, rather than their side channel. And they monetized <laughs> so it. So funny. <laughs>
2: yeah. But it, it was just so funny watching it thinking like the judge had to watch this video and like <laughs> yeah. probably multiple yeah.
0: times as well. Like, it's so funny. Yeah. I I watched it and I thought I've definitely seen this before. Yeah. So I don't know if it got taken down at some point a long yeah, time after I the fact. I think it did. I
2: think they kept it up like you said David
0: cuz you know they
2: didn't want to add maybe it's like an mission a mission of guilt, of guilt yeah. yeah. But then I think probably the lawyer said no take it down.
1: Well there was there's a little bit of back and forth cuz I think they they hid the video for a bit so that nobody could find it and then they were in discussions and then matt issued a, a dcma takedown notice against the video even though it was hidden which they were upset about because that was a strike against their youtube channel mm. which kind of i'm not sure of the ins and outs of that but it, it they were saying you know six months later we're suffering the effects of that strike mm. um so i i gather that you know i don't know youtube docks some of the percentage or something like that or won't put advertising revenue or...
2: yeah i think it's to do with like advertising and maybe to do with like the suggested video stuff you know like what you know like you, when you go on youtube you'll see yeah they don't promote suggest, you as yeah as trending much. videos suggested videos mm-hmm. strikes are bad i know that so I they don't... they they've yeah. hidden
1: the mm-hmm. hidden the video they'd we're in good faith discussions. They were trying to sort this out. And then he just, he did a strike against them and they got upset. Oh, man. Um,
0: yeah. They, uh, he even shared on his, uh, Twitter earlier, he has a tweet where he said, oh, this is my favorite part of the ruling. And it's this bit here. Plaintiff must realize he cannot treat well-settled law and undisputed facts like the women in his videos. They will not change simply because plaintiff is persistent and impervious to their hostility.
1: <laughs> For context, the video, or a lot of the videos that he puts up are kind of a combination of parkour and pickup artistry.
0: Yeah, I mean, he sees, there's a lot. There's a bit of parkour, there's a bit of dancing. I went and had a look through some of his old videos. Very strange, very strange. Mm. It's, it's weird when,
1: like, a niche corner of of YouTube gets
0: pulled out into the light like this <laughs> it is really yeah <laughs> like that steel worldwide videos right yeah won't go into those here um anyway. do you want to talk about the apple job just quickly as a little bit of a like a, a bit of a sorbet sure so, uh this is that uh, another bbc story bbc killing it this week <laughs> uh this is uh the uh the news that um uh, an engineer or a potential engineer found on Apple's website a hidden advert for an engineering job. So uh, I've not re- read too deeply into this. I don't know if you have, David.
1: Um, so he's a cybersecurity reporter, this guy called Zach Whitaker. Mm. Um, I think he was just analyzing network traffic that was coming out of iPhones and found that it was all communicating with one particular website and then he went to that website and on the website was a job offer or a, you know, come contact us. It says something like, hey, there you found us. We are looking for a talented engineer to develop a critical infrastructure component that is to be a key part of the Apple ecosystem. So, yeah, it's a hidden job thing. It has been taken down now or (laughs) moved somewhere else and who knows where. Yeah. So can't go look at it and apply for the job unfortunately they've
0: they've buried it a bit deeper then yeah Cool.
1: the thing that I found interesting is just the kind of recap at the bottom of the article where it's talking about various other companies that have hidden job interviews and done kind of like games or trials or so on to try and rather than just post it out there you know Google are looking for a job Mm-hmm. looking to fill a position looking for some more engineers um there was a google did do one um there was a blog um article that i read by a guy who got his job basically because he googled a bunch of search strings to do with programming all right uh and after he'd you know done some googling and was googling specific languages the kind of the the google screen split apart in the search results and it said hey it looks like you're speaking our language do you want to do you want to um try play a game or something like that yeah and he he clicked through to that and it took him to a sort of a website that was mocked up like a unix um system uh, yeah um with so he's like listing listing the contents of this directory and finds this text file uh, and he can launch this text file it gives him some instructions and basically gives him i think it's five or six programming tasks and he had 24 hours to solve each one. Oh, so wow he had to you know submit his submit either in java or um something or other else this program and then they'd run it against some some data and see if it worked and then move on to the next one and then it's eventually, eventually asked him for his contact details, and he got a phone interview. <laughs> and in he it. said no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that they'll put that much time and effort into doing that, and for the benefit of what a couple of people, maybe. Yeah. Although I suppose they must hire a lot of engineers. But... I
1: mean, it's a it's a good way of ruling out people. It kind of skips the whole technical demonstration, I guess. Mm. You don't have to have your phone interview where you talk about specifics of programming you don't have to go sit down and write yeah, programs I, for an I hour. bet
2: they save money if anything
0: yeah maybe i just
1: yeah it just seems um it's gotta you gotta put that out there and imagine that they might not get a response to that for months and months mm-hmm. so if you're looking to fill a position but don't actually need to fill it right now and just looking to yeah. expand your team at some point in the next few months, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how the hiring world works.
0: Am I might. Um, sorry, go ahead, Adam. Well,
2: I think it's probably about finding, more about finding like a, the quality of candidate. rather mm. than That's probably what they're looking for when they do that, isn't it?
1: Yeah, mm. I guess some somebody as big as Google or Apple, if they put up a job offer the number of people that are going to want to work for them, the number of applications they'd have to process.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Might be a good time for us to uh, reveal that we had a little secret website going on for a while after our... Oh, man, (laughs) who even knows?
2: (laughs) I remember that, yeah. It
0: was uh, a podcast episode we did on ARGs and we alternate reality games alternate reality games which is kind of you know hidden hidden games and uh, uh, a lot of them were kind of marketing things but some of them were to find jobs or to give people prizes and we kind of did one i think at the start of the episode there was like a a hidden a little sped up little bit of text and that or of uh, audio and if you slowed it down it translated to a web um page i would have just kept that secret apart from the fact that i got the renewal notice uh recently <laughs> saying hey do you want to keep this domain it'll cost you 30 quid and i thought no thank you <laughs> we'll, uh, we're all right forget thanks. about it yeah. yeah i can't remember what was going to be the price for that it's like an amazon voucher or something. yeah something yeah, like was that like... wasn't it yeah. I tell you what, if anyone solved it now, I probably wouldn't have the resources or know where everything was to go and check if it's the right answer <laughs> or not. I think I think
1: we because we talked about there was a program where you could encode messages or decode messages oh, from yeah, pictures. That's, that's so right. So the website had a picture on it that you had to, having listened to our podcast, then go find that program and run the picture through it, and that would give you mm. like something else to go do. Mm, it yeah. was it was reasonably involved. There was. Yeah, it involved a fake
0: Twitter file and a fake blog page. Uh, oh, I wonder if it's still up. Hang on, oh, the Twitter account? No, uh, the the actual uh, website. We had uh, a f- it. Oh, hang on. It might do. It's like no, no, it's gone. It might be on the uh, Internet
1: Archive or something.
0: I'll see. I'll see if we can like host it on like a a or a Howard subdomain or something mm-hmm. like that. Just so people can have a look, you know, for the memories. But yeah that's it yeah no, nobody nobody, nobody clever enough <laughs> nobody uh could match nobody wit. quite on our level maybe next year guys mm. great uh, just before we finish a uh, couple of kickstarters couple making up for the for the one we didn't have before although one of them is has been uh, suggested by david so this is the uh, the first one is the shown in stream cam wearable camera Here's a picture of it. We'll put it on the website mm-hmm. as I It kind of looks a bit like a GoPro, doesn't it? Um, yeah. But this is marketed specifically to the kind of, um, uh, I don't know, people, uh, it's more of a safety thing than a, um, than, than a fun little, you know, when you're yes. on holiday, strap it to your head kind of gizmo. Yeah. So it's more for a personal security thing. Its tagline is capture your side of the story. So it's a little camera. Uh, You can clip it to yourself using a magnet uh, plate. So you put the magnet on the back of your hoodie and you put the camera on the front and it just holds it in place. Uh, You just tap it and it starts recording. Records, where where does it record? I hear you asking, David. It records directly to the cloud. If if you uh, are on Wi-Fi or you buy the model that has
1: uh, 3G capabilities...
0: What, where does it save otherwise? Does it just go onto a...
1: There's a expandable memory card okay. located inside the camera.
0: Problem with this is the fact that it's just secured by a magnet. If someone, if you didn't have the Wi-Fi enabled model and you were trying to threaten someone with, aha, uh-huh, I'm recording your every move, don't come any closer, they could just grab the camera off you.
1: Well, I think this this is the thing, that ideally you are uploading it to the cloud. Mm. So the model that makes the most sense is the one with 3g in or i guess if you're using it in your house like i've imagined you can imagine a scenario where let's say somebody turns up at your door and you tell them to you know go away don't want you here mm-hmm. you i don't want you on my property get off and they refuse to for whatever reason if you're recording that on your phone um they just grab the phone off you break the phone Mm -hmm. Um, if you've got this set up streaming that video up to the cloud, then even if you're on your home Wi-Fi streaming it to the cloud, then basically whatever they do to the camera, they can break the camera, they can steal the camera, that video is on the internet. They can't get to it. So you can later pull that video off and say, look, here's proof that these people
0: stole my camera and broke into my house. I'll tell you what. I mean, if you were... In a situation, so some of the situations they give as examples here are um, uh, road rage, abuse of power, random threats and assault, unfairness and injustice, accidents and theft. You can set this thing to li- to stream to the to Facebook, Facebook Live, if you wanted. That'd be a bit gnarly, wouldn't it? If you're just mm. clicking through your Facebook, so and so's gone live. Oh yeah. It's someone trying to get into their house. Uh, oh, this is a bit this is a bit heavy.
1: Some police brutality or something.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it goes directly to the crowd. Cloud uh, waterproof and rugged, tiny and wearable, loud and proud. So you can have different colours as well, so for instant recognition and deterrence. I mean, it's kind of um, we've talked about this in terms of the police having them, because there was a statistic, wasn't there, saying that police that wore them there was a lot less. A lot less incidents on both sides. Yeah. So police felt accountable. But then also, yeah, uh, your, your near-do-wellers uh, were less likely to see, act up.
1: It, it's kind of an impartial witness, yeah, isn't it? Because you can see what was said. You're not just relying on, you know, the police say, give this side of the story and the criminal says this side of the story and what actually happened. You can see in context or mostly in context what was said what was done what people's phrasing and Mm. body language was um yeah it's it's very much marketed towards people i think who think that they're going to be attacked or think that they're likely to see other people having altercations um it's kind of you you'd hope that you wouldn't need to have one yeah. But I can see a lot of people who would want one in just in case. The other issue around it is kind of a one sense. You, if you've got police wearing body cameras, they're, they're police. They're there to police your neighborhood. Their job is to keep people safe and that's kind of a reasonable thing. You've got this big you know, not company exactly but big body that's dealing with the footage and treating the footage hopefully securely and, you know, not misusing it. Mm. If you got random people just out on the street recording everything, then I'm not sure that I necessarily want to be recorded by somebody who just happens to be out on the street wearing this body cam.
0: Too late. It's the future. Embrace it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, we'll continue to be the line.
1: You can... um like, remember all the stuff about Google Glass, for instance. Mm, yeah. How many people freaked out about that? How many restaurants banned Google Glass?
0: Yeah, and it's still not here, is it?
1: Well, Hello? they, they cancelled it. Yeah. Basically because of that. Because people weren't ready to accept other people wearing a camera on their face all the time.
0: Snapchat, on the other hand. Well. They leaned into it hard. They've got those Snapchat glasses, haven't they? Yeah. But uh, I think it does something like, doesn't doesn't the rim rotate or something when it's recording? Something like
2: that. Oh yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's not gonna it's not gonna last, is yeah, it? Yeah,
1: forget about it. I don't know. I think in one form or another, it's probably going to become more common unless somebody steps in and starts putting you know, laws in place saying you're not allowed to record without people's permission. Hmm. I mean, maybe that law is already there. I know you can't um
2: you can if it's in a public place, can't you? That's what the law is at the minute. Well,
1: yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, you get, say, TV shows, for instance. You can't interview somebody on the street without signing, you know, massive load of paperwork, getting their consent to broadcast stuff mm. and show their face and give their opinion. And like, I don't know how much different it would be. You're just a, a random citizen with a camera, and does it depend what you do with the footage? If you then go put that on YouTube, does it change? Yeah, there's you a wouldn't lot.
0: Wanna, you won't want to start accidentally filming Matt Hoss, would you? And then get embroiled <laughs> in a one-year
1: legal lawsuit. What if what if you were walking past a um, a computer shop that was showing his videos on on the screen, Uh and you accidentally filmed his video? conception no no
0: no. it's fair use it's fair use um, okay my uh, yeah. second uh second kickstarter um <laughs> which i found so you know hammers yeah <laughs> right <laughs> right well do you like the hulk no okay right well <laughs> combine the hulk and hammers and you have demo fist so i'll just uh, show you here so there's the uh, we'll put this up online it's basically a. Uh, <laughs> that looked hilarious. It's a big metal um, uh, model of kind of a, It reminds me of the. Uh, who is it? Who does the Only the Brave? Uh, the Oda oh, Toilet. Diesel, is it? Oh, yeah. Where it's just like yeah. shaped like a fist. It's kind of like that, but bigger. Um, there's uh, a couple of videos on their Kickstarter and their demo fist. Uh, Kickstarter, including someone just bashing a cabinet to bits with this thing that's essentially a massive mold of a metal hand. Uh, the idea being that uh, you know sometimes it's it's fun and therapeutic to wreck something, but also um, I don't know, maybe you're getting sick of using a hammer,
1: or you 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 like punching things, but your your meaty human hand mm-hmm. doesn't stand up to the cabinet.
0: Yeah, so you need a bit of a bit of protection. Uh, so you've got Doom, not Doom Fist, Demo <laughs> Fist for that. So a, a few things. First of all, I think the whole design of a hammer. There's a reason that it hasn't really been improved upon. Uh, you kind of you have the handle for your your leverage because you want to kind of you want a bit of leverage that allows you to swing with a bit more momentum than you would manage with your your own fists yeah. uh, whereas here they they're essentially saying go at it but you you're essentially punching with with heavy weights on on your hands which is also not a great idea because i would imagine that when you're throwing your fists with a massive metal thing on the end of it there's yeah. going to be a bit
1: of... Uh, Is that on a stick or does it like... Do you hold a handle or how does it work?
0: It's a very good question. If I were designing it, there would be a handle. Yes, there's a handlebar. There's a bit of protective foam around the hand as well.
2: Bit of... Bit of
0: protective... <laughs> a bit, a bit of protective <laughs> foam. Yeah, but that, I think that's mostly to stop your wrists from making contact, you know, if you were to hit at a funny angle. I Nevertheless, still, it's not Unless gonna,
2: there's like some kind of... Um, Suspension in there as well. Like mm. you're gonna wreck your wrist
1: if you don't go. If you don't manage to punch your way through whatever you're punching your way through, you're basically gonna end up yeah. hitting your hand against the metal fist.
0: Yeah, it's also going to be quite. It's gonna the torque's probably really not gonna do your arm or your your shoulder any good if you're just thrusting this massive weight around. And the whole point of wood as well in a hammer is that it absorbs the shock a bit because it's a little um, bit more. Yeah. Whereas here you're just going full at it with these massive metal fists. <laughs>
2: just sounds so bad. Have they given any explanation about how it doesn't wreck your wrists? Uh,
0: uh no, I haven't. I'll be honest, I haven't read through it too thoroughly. <laughs> they do say that it's made from high strength engineered cast iron. Because of its shape, it's very easy to uh, handle. But there's not really, uh, from what I can see here, any sort of uh, assurance that it won't destroy your hands. Apart from a big warning sign that says, "This product is intended to be used as a hammer. Improper use could cause bodily harm, bodily harm and injuries."
1: Don't drop it on your foot.
0: There's some people on uh, online saying that apparently cast iron is very brittle, so maybe this is a terrible idea. Oh. You might not get an awful lot of wear out of it. Hmm. How much money is it made? Right. Okay. Let's let's get down to I, the nitty gritty.
2: Can I make a prediction? Can I predict that it has met its target? Provided it's a sensible price.
0: Okay, what's sensible?
2: I don't know, 25 quid?
0: Oh, the actual unit itself? Yeah. Um. Okay, right. Is it Do in you, dollars? It's in dollars. Canadian dollars as well. Oh, so, man. yeah. Oh boy. Okay, so it's 70, 75 Canadian dollars.
2: I would imagine that that's about the same as a US dollar.
0: David's doing the legwork, I think. Uh, 50 quid?
1: Your 25 quid is uh, 40 Canadian dollars. Okay. So, 75 Canadian dollars is 46. 46, Yeah. yeah, 47. Do you want to revise
0: whether you think it's hits its goal in light of that? I
2: don't know, really. I can see it appealing to a lot of people. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, if they did a green one, like the Hulk, you know, you'd also tap that.
2: Yeah, but then you've got those foam Hulk fists, haven't you? And then if you got those two confused and you ended up... Yeah. One, either (laughs) punching someone with a... Iron hand.
0: I know there's just an awful lot of uh, lot of variables it's just in a play. Bad idea, isn't it? I'm afraid that of its fifteen thousand Canadian dollar goal, it's only so far managed four, I don't know, four thousand eight hundred Canadian dollars. Is it still running? Forty-one days left. Mm, I then. think it could do it. I mean, if it's forty-one days, I'm gonna guess that it started with sixty days. Hmm. I don't know. Can you just set any amount of time I or is it know. certain allocations? Because if it's 60 days, then much like your YouTube videos, the main monetization period has kind of passed.
2: Unless it gets picked up by some new Some, stores. say,
0: kind of popular podcast about <laughs> technology, maybe. <laughs> Please do
2: not buy this. It looks very unsafe. You this can is...
1: buy a sledgehammer for anywhere between, I don't know, £13, £12, up to probably like
0: 30
2: think about the amount of fun you're going to have with this Iron Fist though.
0: This is the antithesis of technology. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I suppose the cat, the o- cast On, on the <laughs> other hand, it's one of the fundamentals of technology. Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> uh, well, let's leave it there. Shall we? Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh, please do send us an email about anything you've we've discussed today or not discussed that we might have forgotten. Uh, podcast at uk is the place to direct those emails. Then there's also the uh, Twitter uh, at unraveling tech. I think uh, Adam just tweeted a picture of uh, the big podcast on air sign that we've had. We're yeah. putting that to uh, that new touchscreen board, board thing. Smart
1: TV Sp- thing
0: putting it to very good use. Uh, and uh, the blog, as mentioned earlier, unraveling.technology, still up. and uh, Still this, has content. Still has content. Yeah. yeah, Google's not locking that one anytime soon. No. And uh, leave us a little review on iTunes if you, if you haven't already. Uh, thanks. I think we'll be back next week. I think we're all here. Uh, maybe with additional guests. We'll see how it goes. But from me, Joe Tonks, David Johnson and Adam Willerton. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Bye. Bye.